This is a GRDC podcast. For mixed farmers, grazing cereal crops has many advantages and done well can add substantially to the farm's profitability. But of course there's do's and don'ts when it comes to letting your livestock loose in your best wheat paddock. 2018 was an exceptional year for those farmers who got the do's right. Passing through Orange recently, I called into the Department of Primary Industries head office to have a chat with Peter Matthews, who's a technical specialist with the department. Peter has been running workshops as part of a joint GRDC-DPI project on grazing cereal crops, and he told me growers were really looking for information this past winter cropping season. Growers this year, obviously, feed for livestock was at a premium, and anyone that managed to get in a grazing cereal this year early, they were able to graze it right through and took the pressure off in terms of feeding livestock. And because it's a high-quality feed, they were also able to turn off stock in a market at high prices, so they had really good returns. If growers put their foot in the water this year, so to speak, do you think that'll encourage them in future years to go along the same lines? Generally what we see is after a dry spell or a drought, there'll be increasing grazing crops because it's the cheapest form of feed for stock. So a lot of growers will be swinging into dual-purpose grazing cereals early this next year. Okay, let's get into it. What types of wheats or, or cereals are suitable for grazing? Generally what we see is that we have our winter wheats, which are highly suitable for grazing. Now their growth and development is controlled by vernalisation and day length, which hold them back, which means they stay in the vegetative phase for longer, versus our spring wheats, which tend to run up to head early, which don't tend to to produce dry matter, and also we can affect our grain yields at the end of the season by damaging shoots. So winter wheats are the way to go then. Is there any varieties better than another? We have now been lucky that we've had some development and new releases out of the breeding companies in the last two seasons. So we have now wheats that we can sow all the way from late January, early February, all the way now through to mid to late April, which have that same adaptability for grazing. It does also vary when it comes to different soil types, uh, different topographies, that sort of thing. Is that, does that also affect the viability of uh, dual-purpose grazing? Generally, the, the most important things with grazing crops in, is actually the time of sowing, which dictates in terms of what variety you may grow. Soil type is probably important in terms of grazing the stock. You obviously don't want paddocks that are going to pug up through winter because you can do a lot of damage to your soil. So you want to try and make sure you've got areas that you can move stock off to or your grazing paddocks have got well-drained soils and you're not going to have those issues. In your area around this central western zone of New South Wales, what are you finding as some of the better varieties, better soil types? What we're finding, if you want to go in early in terms of late February, early March, we've got varieties like Manning, which is a long-season winter wheat, so we can sow it early and graze it all the way through autumn into winter and then lock it up into spring. If we have a reason that we've got to delay our sowing, we've got varieties like the old Benchmark Wedgetail, and then we have two new varieties called um, Kitty Hawk and Illabo that have come in this last two seasons, which are replacements for that Wedgetail variety, where they have improvements in yield or improvements in disease and grain quality. So you say you can go in as early as February and March and so? Provided the key things in terms of you've got soil moisture, obviously soil temperature is important at that time of year, We've got varieties that you can sow that earlier, and the earlier you can sow it, obviously the longer you've got in terms of grazing, so the more grazing, the more vegetation, the more livestock in terms of production. When do you put stock in? Now, I've heard if you can't pull the plant out, that's the time you put stock in to graze. Does that still stand? Chris, generally that's correct. What we have is the old pinch and twist test. It doesn't sound much, but that just indicates whether 
a grazing sheep will actually be able to pull that plant out of the ground. And once it's actually got the roots into the system and you think there's enough dry matter there to sustain your stock for a period of time, you can obviously put them in. If you go in too early, what you'll find is that you'll have the plants being pulled up by the stock and you're going to lose plants, which will affect your dry matter production through the season. How closely then can they graze that plant? Generally what we like to see is around that 1,000 kgs of dry matter left in the paddock. Once we get below those levels, animal performance actually drops off, so there's no benefit to really graze the paddocks too hard. And by leaving that biomass there, it leaves some engine for the plant to start to regrow and reproduce more leaf and tillers so you can regraze it later. A thousand kg it means it's it's being grazed fairly well then. Oh look, certainly well down. We're probably very hard depending on the variety, but we're generally talking around that fifty to sixty mil type level in terms of what we have left over. If we go to what we often call in the industry white lining it, you've probably gone a little bit too far because you've not left any green material for that plant to use as an engine to start to regrow. Okay, so let's have a look then at some of these early sown wheats. How many times can they be grazed in a season before you have to call it quits? The number of times that in terms of grazing really depends on the sowing date. So if you're able to get them in mid-March and established, you can graze those crops all the way through to late July. And depending on the season and rainfall, that means that you can probably graze them two, three, four times, or maybe five times, depending on how, whether, how you graze in terms of whether you rotationally graze, you crash graze, or you leave your stock in for a longer period, particularly if you've got lambing ewes that you want to have a stable paddock in them. So the second and subsequent grazing, the first grazing, you bring it down to 1,000 kg. How much more should they grow? Should it go up to two or two and a half thousand kg before you put the stock back in? Generally with livestock, once we get around about two and a half thousand kgs of dry matter, particularly for sheep and, and cattle as well, we're at a point where there's maximum dry matter there for them to maximise their own performance in terms of um, intake and then growth rates for the stock. So certainly you want to leave your grazing until there's enough there that you've got a sufficient period so you don't have to keep moving your stock in and out. One of the things with livestock is if you can keep them on a consistent feed source for as long as possible, you improve your actual animal performance. The other end of the season now, when should you take them out? There's very clear indicators when the stock need to come out and that's when we get to growth stage 30, 31. And that tells us that those plants now are moving into their reproductive phase and any damage to those shoots will actually then start to damage our yield recovery at the other end of the season. If you've been grazing them, how difficult or easy is it to tell when you've reached that growth stage 31? There's a lot of work being done on that in terms of dissecting plants and it's very obvious when that plant's reached growth stage 31 in terms of dissecting the main shoot open and you'll see the nodes and you'll also see the start of the little flower and head in in the stem. So that can be recognised quite easily and provided you regularly check your crops you can determine that point with no issue. Is it an idea maybe to just to isolate a, a part of the paddock, a small part of the paddock, so that you, you see the plants growing normally through the season? Is that easier to recognise then? Certainly if you've got a section that you've locked up in a little cage or something in the paddock, it gives you a head start because those plants will tend to be 7 to 10 days earlier in maturity than what's been grazed. We tend to find grazing would delay the stage of growth stage 31 by 7 to 10 days. So it lets you say, well, it gives you a chance to see what's going on. And it's also a lot easier to dissect a plant that hasn't been grazed because all the dry matter has been cut away by the stock and you've got to try and decide which is the main shoot. Now, livestock would be exporting the nutrient from that crop 
Are there any issues with that subsequent after the grazing? Surprisingly, uh, in terms of livestock grazing crops, most of the nutrient doesn't actually leave the paddock. It's obviously either excreted as urea in terms of urine or dung, um, and it stays within the paddock. Sometimes we actually get movement of um, nutrients within the paddock because stock won't evenly distribute back out into the paddock. So there is some export, obviously, in the animal products, but it's not as much as people think. The main issue is most of that that goes through the animal won't be readily available, so we need to make sure we maintain the nutrition of the paddock with fertiliser or background um, soil nitrogen. 2018 has been a less than ordinary year, even in the central west here. How has grazing the crops been this year? There's been a lot of interest in it and a lot of farmers have gone into it for a first time. Has it been successful for them? This year, Chris, uh, grazing crops have been highly successful for growers. Obviously, the late spring rain has helped in terms of grain recovery for those crops, but a lot of growers I've been talking to have already made their money for this year in terms of feeding stock, being able to turn off fat lambs or fat steers or heifers off into the marketplace. So they've made their money, and any grain they're now getting off those crops because of late rain is basically a bonus and extra income coming into their system. So in years like this, when we don't get a lot of winter rainfall to produce pasture. Our grazing cereals really help keep the system going and have really saved growers a lot of money in terms of buying feed in and also allowed growers to take advantage of the higher stock prices when they've been selling stock into the meat and the finished market. Do you have any figures, any hard data supporting what you're saying then in what it can do to a farm income? Over our trials for the last five years, obviously we've been looking at some of the economic performance in general, grazing crops, depending on the variety, obviously we've tested up to in between 50 different genotypes or varieties in our trials in each year. We've seen um, additional income coming from the grazing from $250 to $300 a hectare all the way through up to $1,000 to $1,200 a hectare. That extra income can be anywhere between 50% on top of what they already will get from grazing or grain production. And in some cases, the grazing value is worth as much as the grain at the end of the season. So they can double their income out of that paddock. So it's really great for the growers in terms of farm business and their income. Okay, let's just sum it up. I'll ask you to paint a picture, I suppose, of what would be a really good situation for farmers to go into dual-purpose cropping. The critical fact to getting early crops established is soil moisture. So they need to maintain a good fallow from now right through to March, early April to make sure they've got the moisture there for sowing. A lot of growers overlook that. So maintain your soil moisture through the summer, controlling weeds, etc. Really critical they do that because generally we see to have about a 40% chance of getting a decent sowing rain through February and March. Now when I talk about sowing rain, we're talking 25 millimetres over two or three days. So you need to make sure you've got moisture under it. So when you get the 25 mils, you've got good sowing, sowing moisture to establish that crop to get it going. Sowing into drying moisture is not a thing to do to crop establishment because generally in February, March, we have evaporation rates of 7 to 8 millimetres a day. Now that's quite high, so 25 millimetres doesn't go that far when the soil will dry out. So they need to make sure they're giving that plant the best chance to actually germinate and start getting its roots into that conserved moisture from over summer. Is there a threshold, I suppose, in plant population that you have to achieve before you graze livestock? The main point there, Chris, is to make sure growers are aware that this is a grazing crop and dry matter production is directly related in terms of number of shoots and the number of leaves and the leaf area. And the easiest way for growers to increase that is to make sure they've got 
a decent plant population and normally we would like to see growers increasing their target plant populations by 20 to 30 percent for grazing crops. That means we get more plants out of the ground, we have more shoots, we get more leaves which equals more dry matter early in the season. That's really important when growers are coming out of a dry spell because they need early feed. So some serious forward planning needed for grazing cereals, both with the variety you choose and, as Peter just mentioned, plant populations. That was Peter Matthews with that valuable insight into maximising your chances of successful cereal grazing.